This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. Isaiah chapter 53, and we have it up here if you don't have your Bible. If you would like a Bible, which I encourage you, there's a Bible right in front of you. Why don't you grab that Bible and open up to Isaiah 53. It's in the Old Testament in the books of prophecy. And it says, verse 1 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed in our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I want to read that to you again. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And that's to say that he didn't complain. That he knew that his purpose was to die, to hang on a cross, and he did not complain. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I don't have this in my notes, but I want to stop there for a second because it feels like what we said last week. Every time God calls us into something, we grow afraid and we complain a lot. And how valuable is a sacrifice from God's children if it's wrapped and presented to him in complaint? If we truly regard him as master, as king over our lives, should we not present to him a sacrifice that is genuinely received by us or wanting to give or be given by us without complaint? And he is our model once again. Yet he opened not his mouth. When God calls us into something, there will be struggle. It won't be comfortable. But when we do it seemingly in obedience, but wrapped up in complaint, what is it that we are actually doing? Is it something that he can receive as a fragrant odor? When we pray, when I pray, when I pray over our church that he would receive our praise, and our worship as a fragrant odor. If you can picture that. You ever have a candle 
and you light up that candle for the first time, sometimes it's like, oh, too much vanilla or uh, too much cinnamon. But when you light that one candle that's like, mmm, so good, that it would be a fragrant odor unto him. Because the truth is, and this is something that the church has misunderstood, not everything that we think we do for God is received well by him. We can come to the church and we can sing as loudly as we want. But the truth is, is that if it is an unrepentant sinner crying out, Jesus, 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 offering up a sacrifice of praise, it's not something he is willing to receive. That, that might trouble us a bit. But God listens to his children. If it is an unrepentant sinner who simply feels that by saying, Lord, I give you this song. Lord, I give you this money. It could be millions. You can empty out your bank account. But if you are doing so with the wrong reason in your heart, it is not something that he will receive well. Sorry for that. That was a light up at the... There we go. All right. Merry Christmas. I'm your present today. All right. Or maybe that meant move on. Verse 8, it says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made it and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And if you are listening, you're watching us online, I just read that entire chapter, chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. And I, I did that on purpose. Last week, we began this series speaking with the prophecy from the prophet Isaiah when he said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We have it up here now. So I open with this text here in Isaiah 53 because I need us to see the power of God, not just through his word, but also the power of God's work among his people. We mentioned last week that Isaiah is being used prophetically more than 800 years before Jesus' arrival. So as you read this entire chapter of Isaiah 53, I don't know about you or if you were listening, but if you read it in your own private time, you read this 53rd chapter of Isaiah and you feel like perhaps he's speaking from after his death, looking back to Jesus' death. 
because of the way that he speaks. And I see this as we read this text. To engage in the work of God, we must acknowledge that he is mighty. So today we're looking at this mighty God description of Jesus, of this gift that would come on that Christmas day. We can't believe in the Bible and not acknowledge that all points of God's word, all points of his word lead back to Jesus. Do we know this? Everything about the Bible from the beginning to the end points back to Jesus, either prophetically or in remembrance using the tool of his ministry when he was on earth. The Old Testament predicted, the New Testament confirmed. The Old Testament concealed, but the New Testament revealed. The Old Testament contained, but the New Testament explained. Jesus Christ is the mighty God. And so I want to bring you through this really quickly because I know that there are many people and also believers, people who call themselves believers in Jesus, who struggle with the idea that Jesus is God. And so we can look to the Old Testament and look upon the words of God penned by man that call God what? Mighty, the Almighty, and also equalize those to Jesus. Do we get this? Okay. God spent thousands of years and innumerable generations stirring up the hearts of man for the coming Messiah. He did this with his holy word and through the prophetic through men and women of God who lead God's people in expectation. When reading Isaiah 53, we can truly wonder in the words that God gives the prophet Isaiah. The description with which he details not just who Jesus would be, but what would also happen to him. Remember, he says like a sheep brought to the slaughter, but he did not complain. How could Isaiah know this 800 years before Jesus would even be born? And I can tell you, it's the might of God. Because although Isaiah in his flesh did not know, God already had his plan in place. Everything from the very beginning of creation, Adam and Eve pointed to that one moment, to that one season in humanity when he would deliver a savior. This is the beauty of Advent. As hard as it is to find purple candles, it's not about the candles. It's about the anticipation of a coming deliverer. And I don't know about you, and I certainly know about me, that this is not something that I anticipate with joy and expectation because I'm a pastor. It's because I believe in Jesus. Because my life still needs the Savior. Do we understand this? Because my life still feels, although I come here week after week and preach the word and I'm in my Bible all week, every day I still need a savior. I still need to be pulled out of the fire that even I try to get into at times. Can we be real for a second? So I know what he is able to deliver me from, but there's a reason for why even Paul speaks so much about us not returning to our sin like a dog returns to its vomit. And I know that's graphic, but it's in Scripture. But it's the same human nature inside of us. We know that it's bad for us, but mm, there's something delicious about the wrong thing. 
And for that, I need a savior. And for that, you need a deliverer. Someone who would give you his strength to keep you from that fire. But also you need your own willingness. Amen? You need to also make a decision to be disciplined and to say, I know that's bad for me. And as much as it hurts to make a decision to not go that route, I need to make that decision. A lot of us ask God to renew our minds. But actually, he invites us to renew our minds in Christ Jesus. We read that the wrong way. Lord, renew my mind. No, 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 wait, wait. You renew your mind. You have to wake up every morning and choose him all over again. Anybody married in the house? Every day you have to wake up and choose your wife and your husband all over again. Maybe that'll make sense to you one day. And if you're not doing that as a husband and a wife, then you need to start. Every day, regardless of the decisions that you made yesterday or the arguments that you had yesterday, every day you must wake up and say, hey, I have to choose her again. I have to choose him again because if we don't, that's when our eyes begin to wander. And when we might try to convince ourselves that perhaps there's something else that I might need in this season of my life, we must choose in our love over and over again. And the same thing even comes with anything relational. That you, with your friends, that you would have to maybe choose them over and over and over again. And maybe they've done you wrong a thousand times. But if you said that you loved your friend, did that one hit? Did that one like a, like I, the whole room kind of shifted there. I use the husband and wife example because I'm a husband. And I'm a husband that's probably as good a husband as you are. And so there's some days where I'm just like, you know what? Like this marriage thing is hard, but I have to choose my wife today. My choosing her yesterday may not be sufficient for today. And the same thing happens with our Lord Christ Jesus every day. And Paul says this, right? That urgency that he has in the morning. I must choose you today for today. Verse 3 and 4 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. I love that he puts himself into this story. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is the prophet speaking and writing to the people that were grieving. But he includes himself in this story. He says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I feel that in reading this, we could think that Isaiah was speaking to a grieving people after Jesus' death and resurrection. Everything in God's word points to Jesus. And this all is a show of God's might. But let's not make this grave mistake. Let's not separate the power and might of God and the power and might of Jesus. They are, and listen to me please, they are one and the same. You might be tempted to say, hey, but I'm trying to figure out how Jesus and God are the same. But remember what we learned last week. He is called a wonderful counselor. If you struggle to understand how Jesus is God, perhaps the Lord is allowing you a limitation in your understanding because what he wants from you is more faith. We don't have to understand how. 
We just have to obey. And that might be contrary to the flesh. Because some of us long to understand, well, you're, you're, Pastor Isaac, you're telling me to do this, this, and that. But, I mean, before I do that, I want to understand. That's okay because I am not your creator. I am not your maker. But to the Father, we must simply accept that Jesus Christ is also God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. The beginning of that again, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. This is in the Old Testament, speaking to a people that were used to, in their culture, to make idols of random inanimate objects, a piece of wood that they would paint or adorn and pray to this, hoping that it would produce something for them. And so what Moses is establishing here in Deuteronomy is that to that God that you have created, my God is the God of that. So just in case you are disobedient and you still long to worship these things, because the truth is this, we all worship. Remember, Gene said this a couple of weeks. You may not worship God, but you certainly worship. And if you're not worshiping God, there's only two factions here. You have God, you have light, or you have darkness and Satan. If you don't worship God, you worship Satan. Some people are offended by that word in the church, and we should not be. To the good guy that is Jesus, there is a bad guy, and he, his name is Satan. It is the devil. Do we not talk about that enough here? So if we are not doing what we must do for God, that means we actually work and labor for the enemy. We don't take that seriously, friends. There is no in-between. A lot of people think like, well, I don't worship the devil. Are you telling me that if, if I'm not a believer, I don't believe in Jesus, or I struggle to have my faith in place, or I'm disobedient all my life, I misbehave, I'm constantly a sin, I never ask for repentance genuinely, that I'm, I believe in the devil or I worship the devil? Well, I didn't say it. The Word said it. If you are not a friend of God, the Word says that you are in enmity. Learn that word. And that is an enemy. Again, what happens in our flesh is that for a sermon with a portion like what I just shared with you, people might be like, I don't know, it sounds like, you know, that church a little condemning. Well, friends, listen, the fight is for your heart. I'm telling you the truth so that you can make a decision today. Well, hey, if I'm not with God, then that means I'm a friend to the enemy. But what I need truly is God, because again, what Deuteronomy says, for the Lord your God is God of gods. The Lord our God is even God over Satan. Do you understand this? When he goes to Job to wreck Job's life, what did, God, what did, uh, the, what did Satan have to do? He had to go up to heaven and ask God for permission to trouble Job's life. Anybody in here a Job? No, you're not. Don't raise your hand. But as much as he afflicted Job, he had to ask God for permission. Our God Almighty is even the God over Satan. Do we understand this? Because once upon a time in the story, if you know the story, he was up in heaven. And his disobedience got him cast out with his friends. Check your friends. <laughs> to know that God is mighty is also to know that Jesus is mighty. John chapter 10 verse 30 
John writes, but Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Period. And half of a thing. It's, it's okay to laugh, friends. I do that to keep you awake. So we know that Jesus is God, but we learn today not only that he is God and that he is the one Messiah, the Savior of the world, but also that he is mighty, right? Mighty God. We've started kind of backwards. He is God. Jesus is mighty God. And now we see a little bit about his might. First, his might is authoritative. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. And one of my favorite verses is, is in here, verse 19. Let me read it to you. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Make note that it's the disciples. They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Can you imagine this? These men walked with Jesus. They saw everything that he did in the flesh. And they still had a doubt. That's not to excuse our doubt. The point is that humanity is wretched. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them so lovingly, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Usually I coin verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If I could say that verses 16 to 20 truly compile the story of man. God creates man, and immediately man has doubt about God's lordship. And what does God provide for us? He provides for us hope. He says in verse 18, all authority has been given to me. His might is authoritative. Then he proceeds to commission all of mankind to go and make disciples of all nations. For those of you who think that your only job is to come to church. Amen. And your only job is to help someone who is elderly cross the street or just to be a good person, or because you only curse on Mondays and not on Tuesdays. You have a job to do. Amen. I was sharing with somebody yesterday that some people get things mixed up. Well, I feel that God gave me a word, and so I need to speak. No, you don't. You need to obey. Well, God has given me a word and a vision. That's great, but sometimes it's just for you. Well, God has shown me something in the prophetic. That doesn't mean you have to prophesy. There has to be order. There has to be order. If he has instructed you to go and say something to someone, then you go and say something to someone. But I think sometimes some people, what we long for is the attention of his work. But what about the discomfort that comes with his work? It's fun. Like I meet young people and they're like, oh, what I really want to do is I don't want to work. I just want to pastor. Oh, <laughs> And what if he calls you to both? Or I've heard young ladies say like, hey, you know, one day I just, I just want to be married to a pastor. Do you know, woman, what you were asking for? Amen. Amen. 
the work of God hurts. We can stay home and click through channels on a Sunday morning looking for a, a stream to watch, but the truth is that the glitz and the glamour is only the Sunday experience that you are seeing, but you know what it takes to get there? Even the people that we consider to be successful in ministry today, where they had to start from, when the Lord grabs your heart and he starts molding it and he starts, the truth is that the most impactful men that God has put in my life who have been called into ministry are men who, who wanted to run away from it because they understood the call of God over their lives. And they knew that, Lord, if you're calling me into this work, I know that it's going to take so much out of me. And the truth is, it takes almost everything out of you, including a pastoral wife ministry. All right, for anybody who might venture to say that to be the wife of a pastor is awesome or cool, you know, um, it's hard work. It's hard work. And, you know, because you're my family, I will share with you that just a couple of weeks ago, my wife tells me that in this, after this whole Christmas thing, I need you to be home a little bit more. Any wives want to go through that? I've learned in my, I guess, fairly short time in ministry that anyone who longs ministerial work in particular, like, oh, you, you don't know yet. And I pray the Lord would reveal that unto you. But again, what we long for is that attention. But there's little regard to the might of Jesus in his, in his authority over our lives. And this verse in the New Testament, we just read verse 18 again in Matthew 28. But this verse in the New Testament, in the words of Matthew, speaks to what was written in Deuteronomy that God is not partial and takes no bribes. And that's actually Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a beautiful promise. I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see the beautiful ties that we see here in Scripture that go beyond the same time that we manage? Also, we know that his might is forever. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul writes about the eternity of Jesus, one of the many invisible attributes of God. And he says that his divinity and power have been evident, and it's not just now, but since the creation of the world. His might is forever. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. His might is able to save. And I want to wind down here. Here is the prophet Zephaniah, seven centuries before the birth of Christ. Now, we know 800 years for Isaiah, and Zephaniah is 700 years before Jesus. And Zephaniah is speaking into tomorrow about the might of God. 
He says that God is the mighty one who will save. And he will do, he'll do it in the midst of us through Jesus. His saving power is not just from the enemy, but it is also from the curse of sin and death. And again, we know that is through who? Through Christ Jesus. His might is able. Friends, his might is able. It's able. It's able. When I was opening up in prayer, I asked you guys to think about or for God to speak into those spaces of your life where you are struggling, your family, your health, your finances, your job, your education, every area of your life where you are struggling and where you feel broken. God is able. His might is able. A mighty one who will save. And it doesn't say can, and it doesn't say may, it says will. A mighty one who will save. His might is able to heal. His might is able to repair your marriage. His might is able to remove your addiction. His might is able to save your family. His might is able to save your children. His might is able. Jesus, the mighty God. Jesus, our mighty God. And that is who we get to serve today. And in this season of Christmas anticipation, we remember Jesus, but we also look to him. I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. When we read this scripture, they longed for the coming Savior. We have received our Messiah. We know him by name. The word tells us what he looked like. But now we await him still for his return. And I pray that you find some type of connection to what I just shared. Every day I need saving. Every day I need restoration. Every day I need reconciliation. I said this to the men's group two weeks ago and I'm going to say it to you. When we first come to Jesus... We're filled with so much emotion, especially if he has found you and pulled you out of a deep hole where you're sitting in muck. So when he finally saves us from that muck, we feel this like overwhelming emotion, right? Like, yes, you finally, yes, Lord, this is what I've been longing for my whole life. And as time passes, and that's called the first love. As time passes, you notice that that passion starts to die down a little bit. And the more you get into the stride of things, the more you're like, oh, wow, like that like, and the same thing happens with regular relationships, by the way, right? In the beginning, you're like, oh my God, three hours, four hours, five hours on the phone, hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. Like, <laughs> and, and, and the same thing, is what happens in our relationship with God. And that's why I say to you, husbands, wives, every day, choose your spouse over again. And to the same effect, our relationship with Jesus. After you come out of that first love season, now we need to figure out our personal relationship with Jesus. How do you maintain with God? And guess what? The church is only part of that. The church is where you come to hear this truth. Like this week, I had a terrible week with God. And I need to recommit. And I need to be restored 
into his love. But we must maintain that during the week. And how do we do that? We do that with prayer. We do that by reading his word. None of this makes sense if we don't believe what he has already said. So many of us love the emotional part of the prophetic. But the truth is that you are unwilling to even listen to what he has already said. Why does the prophetic sound so? Because a lot of it is in the moment and you know it, it speaks to you. But guess what, friends? He has already said so much. And let me clarify. I believe in the prophetic. I also believe that it's been misused. But I believe that the prophetic is such a beautiful gift. And I don't know that some of you carry that heavy gift of the prophetic. And if actually I can shout you out for a second, Earl. Earl is fairly new to our house. Don't worry who he is. Don't worry about who he is. But he comes up to me and he says, you know, like I feel like the Lord has given me a gift of the prophetic. And immediately when I hear that, I'm like, uh oh. And it's an uh oh because I've seen it so often misused. But it is in the spaces where it's just he and I that he has spoken an immediate word into my life that made sense, although he had very little information. The prophetic is a gift and an art form that God uses to encourage his people. And it's used responsibly. Even in scripture, we see it completely mishandled. We learned about the story of Jonah where Jonah receives his word from God and he chooses to run away from it instead of engaging in that hard work that it was to speak to these people. But to carry any gifting that God gives us, friends, is to be called into work that will be heavy, especially unto our hearts. So remember, in this season, as we anticipate the coming of Jesus, ceremonially almost, I invite you to, in your hearts, to remember that we've already received our Christ and that we await him once more. That we await Jesus to come and once and for all save mankind and take up his church and his children. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.